This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello and welcome to the East Lansing Insider, a podcast brought to you by East Lansing Info and 89FM The Impact. I am Andrew Graham, East Lansing Info's sports editor and one of our government reporters. I'm here today with Alice Drager. Alice, what's your what's your precise title again? I always forget. <laughs> your boss, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, that's I just <laughs> my title is executive director and publisher, but I'm also there like you, a, a government reporter, which is why I'm joining you today. So I'm always happy to be with you. Perfect. So today we are going to discuss the flooding that happened in East Lansing after the notable and torrential deluge on the night of August 11th, August 12th. Um, we're also going to get to a weird thing of the week at the end. It is not French onion dip. It's involving real estate. Um, but the first thing I'm going to get into is just explain what happened on the night of August 11th. So starting at about 10.30 p.m. to about 5.30 a.m. So or 5 a.m., about six hours, East Lansing got roughly seven inches of rain which I dug into the actuarial tables from the National Weather Service, and that qualifies as a 100-year rain, meaning there's about a 1 in 100 or a 1% chance of that amount of rain falling in that amount of time in the city of East Lansing. And what that meant, ultimately, is that the city's sewer system was overwhelmed, and there was pretty extensive flooding throughout several areas of the city. Um, Alice, I don't know if there was any more you wanted to add about the uh, the sort of generalities and the facts of what happened. But it well, we know lot, it was a lot of rain. It was a lot of rain. We know that at least one reader reported measuring about eight inches. Of course, rain is very localized when it's this intense. And so some people may have gotten even more than seven inches of rain. Um, and just to clarify the thing you said, Andrew, I think a hundred year flood means it would happen once in a year every hundred years. <laughs> So um, yeah, ra- definitely yeah. supposed to be a rare event, but we'll be talking, I think, about how climate change may be making this kind of monumental rain more common in our area. So it definitely creates a challenge without a doubt. Exactly. Um, and before we get into more discussion about what happened, we want to toss to an interview that I did earlier with Ruben Martinez, who is a resident of Shaw Estates and who experienced some flooding himself. So I'll just get right in. Um, you obviously live in Shaw Estates, correct? Yes. So what what was just the um, the experience for you the night of August 11th, 12th, and the morning of August 12th with the flooding? Well, you know, uh, I heard the rain and the storm as I was sleeping, you know, doing in my sleep, and... Uh, got up the next morning, didn't think anything of it. There's nothing like this had happened to, to the house before. Uh, I did uh, get a sense that it was a major rainstorm. And, you know, the next morning I just went through my usual steps, you know, uh, exercise, uh, uh, shower, eat breakfast, and I was getting ready to go to work. And my son had gone downstairs and he called up and said, we got to come down here. And I said, well, okay. So I went down there and found a total mess in the uh, bathroom and the exercise room and so on of, uh, of the basement part. And I was just really 
shocked. I really didn't understand what had happened uh, until later on when I started talking to neighbors and so on. But yeah, it was a mess. Right. Um, how how extensive was the flooding? I guess in terms of how much water, standing water, how many inches were in the basement. Well, you know, it had all receded by the time I went down there, which was about gotcha. nine o'clock uh, in the morning. So it had receded by then, uh, but we had sludge, uh, and uh, and you know, I had uh, uh, one of those uh, kind of thin uh, carpet type of things down in, in the exercise room, and that was just. Uh, you know, totally wet, covered with sludge, and then uh, outside of that room, I had some uh, six by eight uh, rugs. Uh, both of them were completely uh, covered with with water. They're totally wet in other sections of the of the basement. It didn't flood the whole basement, but uh, I would say about uh, one third to almost a half of it. Gotcha. And from from what I understand, and I guess you can speak more to this, that's I don't want to say you had it light with the flooding, but compared to some other people, that was pretty pretty manageable. I, I've I've come to understand. Well, I did learn uh, from you know we did call public works and they came out took photos and stuff after we had done some cleaning, uh, and uh, they said that my sump pump uh, uh, it was a good thing that it had been working and uh, that they'd been to some houses where it hadn't, what well, was not working. And so they had much, much, uh, greater damage. Um, uh, so I think I had all, all the, uh, pieces in place to help out, but, uh, you know, the, the, the sewage came up through the shower. It came up through that, uh, standing drain pipe that's in the floor. It came up through the toilet, uh, and it was, uh, quite considerable. Right. And then what's been, I, you mentioned to me before we started talking that uh, you had the insurance adjuster coming by. Um, would you be willing to share what the extent of the damage is just in terms of maybe the cost? Well, I, I don't know. It's a, my sense is it's going to be over $20,000 uh, for sure. Uh, these guys are on the, down there tearing uh, walls out uh, the first two feet of the bottom of the walls are being torn out. Uh, the, the carpet that was in there has been torn out. They've taken out the uh, the toilet seat, the bowl. They've taken out the vanity that was there. The, you know, that's going to have to be right. uh, They took out the shower. The, the, the bathroom has been completely uh, emptied out, you know, of, of the, the toilet, the shower, the uh, the vanity and everything, and the carpets have been taken out. The, the lower part of the walls have been taken out, and they're still working on it down there. They say that the the more they take out, the more water they find uh, in the walls. So they took out. You know, I had uh, that that part of the basement is a finished basement. They had did had uh, kind of uh, cedar, uh, some rough cedar uh, on the walls. And uh, they took that out uh, the bottom level, and now they're taking out the drywall. Uh, so, and this was all custom-built stuff. It's going to take quite a bit of repair. I mean, they're t they're taking out the the damaged part, and we still don't have any clue how much of the personal property uh, was damaged. Uh, you know, we threw out a whole bunch of different things. My son and I that first day, and we tried to, uh, you know, get the, all of the, the the water out. 
but uh, obviously it got into the walls and you know the bacteria just gets in there and just right. keeps growing mold and so yeah this is, this is a major in, endeavor and you know if you wanted to go by there these guys are still clean you know taking stuff out we have a photo uh that we took that morning uh, we should have taken more um, but if you wanted to run by the house and see what they're doing you know it's an it's it's an enormous task i definitely might uh, take you up on that in terms of the city you mentioned you got in touch with the department of public works and they they said you know, sump pump worked and that was kind of what kept it kept it where it was have you have you heard anything else or gotten any other sort of response or or answers explanation from the city about what happened or is it just sort of too much rain for the system i haven't been contacted at all zero not gotcha. told uh, what my options are i have not you know my main question is and as i uh, understand it in talking my son's talking to the neighbors and others this has happened to them before this time it happened to more people in the neighborhood uh and i learned that the uh the drain from the rain you know somewhere along the way i guess uh, feeds into the sewer line and so forth and it just got uh, overwhelmed and started backing up but if that is the case and this is what i'm trying to find out and i've been told this by several people uh the city needs to address that because this cannot be a recurring problem that residents have to live with right i gotcha well that's kind of all i wanted to cover i thank you for taking some time with me today ruben this was very very enlightening and very very helpful and i know it's not a it's not a fortunate situation for you to be in but i thank you for for sharing about it and talking about it so appreciate it okay thank you andrew awesome and one note from that interview with ruben he uh he called me right after we got off and wanted to note that well he has not heard back from city council with concerns when he did contact the department of public works they sent people down and they took a lot of pictures and we understand that that has happened for a lot of other residents who reported flooding um, so Alice, you did a lot of reporting for us right in the immediate aftermath of the flooding about where it happened, soliciting from our readers and residents to let us know if their basements had flooded or not. Um, so I guess just talk about what, what you uh, found out, where the flooding was, what happened. Sure. I was really interested in um, trying to understand sort of where the problems had occurred. And that's because we started getting lots of emails at Eli with people reporting serious damage to either their homes or their neighbors' homes or things that they were seeing. So photographs were coming in and also reports of extraordinary flooding, including flooding with sewage in people's houses. So um, what we did is uh, Nathan Andrus, who's our data analyst, and I put together a quick Google form survey and asked folks who had been impacted by flooding to pop in their address, tell us what happened, tell us what has happened in their experiences in the past, and to give us their contact information in case we needed to do some follow-up clarification. And then Nathan basically took a map and pinpointed where those flooding reports were coming from. Now, this was not a scientific survey by any means, but it did give us some sense of where we found clusters of reports. And we found three of those. One of them was in Shaw Estates, where Reuben lives. One of them was very clearly in the Glencairn neighborhood, where construction had been ongoing on the sewer rebuild. And another cluster occurred in the Bailey neighborhood. That doesn't mean those are the only places that people experienced problems, but what we saw was some pretty clear clustering in those three areas. 
Yeah, and I would say that's probably where the the most significant flooding, at least visibly, occurred. Especially the, the stuff around Robert Shaw Park was was very very <laughs> noticeable flooding. Yes, um, and you got a report, Andrew, about one house in particular being significantly damaged. Yes, so right to the it, it, particularly to the north of Robert Shaw Park, the flooding was bad, and that's just sort of because the the ground is lower to that side than to the other. And some of those houses had reportedly feet of water in the basement. And there's one you can see in a picture where the water line it had come up. It was over the lawn and the water line was at a basement window. And so at that point, the, the water, the water's coming in at some point. And I talked to one resident of, is it Oxford street? That's to the North of North yes. lawn, mm-hmm. Oxford road. And I spoke to him Pat Fertile, and he and I talked about basically the immediate aftermath and how residents were wondering whether the construction, which is being done to expand the sewer capacity in part, had any role in the the severity of the flooding there because they had never, ever experienced any flooding like this. Admittedly, there had never been any rain like this, but they had never, never had flooding to this degree. And we should point out that a number of people had raw sewage in their basements. Yes. This was not just rainwater. The, no. com- the sewers are combined there. And these folks had, in some cases, feet and feet of raw sewage in their basement, which is really dangerous. Yeah, and not pleasant and very expensive to restore and repair. But basically, there's these bypass pumps that they have to or use when they are working on the sewer because you have to still provide sewer service and plumbing to residential and commercial facilities and residents were basically wondering whether those pumps had been used, whether they were at full capacity and whether that construction had played some role in the amount of flooding they'd experienced and asked the city. And the answer generally and pretty clearly was no, the construction didn't have a role. The pumps were working. They were working correctly. And that downstream they had the, it, the sewer system was at full capacity and that the system itself was just overwhelmed. It, it seems that the conclusion that I, I'm getting more comfortable drawing is that it was just more rain than the city sewer system simply could handle. Right. But that doesn't totally explain to us why some people got the worst of it and other people did not get problems from the sewer system. So that's some of what we're going to be looking into. Exactly. And We've talked a little bit, we sort of brushed on it about the nature of the sort of what's coming into people's basement and the reason there's sewage coming in and not just stormwater, um, not that stormwater is pleasant, is a sort of unique factor or design of how the sewer is in certain areas of the city. And that's there's a combined sewer where the stormwater and sewage end up running together. Um, Alice, I know you can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, this is an older type of design of sewers. And so where you find these combined sewers tends to be in the oldest neighborhoods around campus, basically, because these are the old neighborhoods. And Glencairn is one of those. Oak Hill, where I live, is one of those. Bailey has had combined sewers. So the city has been trying to, over time, reduce the number of sewers that are combined sewers, because you do get this problem when you have a monumental rain, then it gets mixed with sewage, and then you could have the potential for sewage backing up. But it's a really challenging thing to do because as you go basically north from the sewage treatment plant, which is on Trowbridge Road near 127, 
you have to kind of go farther and farther up the system to try to divide it. And because the combined sewers are actually relatively close to the water treatment plant, it becomes difficult to do that separation without having to go into the older neighborhoods, do a lot of digging and try to fix these problems. And that's really challenging, really expensive. The other thing that folks might not know is our city system has such an old infrastructure. It's over a hundred years old in many places that the department of public works doesn't totally know what it has and how it works. And so the city has been spending a lot of money on doing what's called televising our sewers, which does not mean putting our sewer system on TV. It means taking cameras and going down and trying to understand where the sewer lines are and where they go. And so the city has been mapping out the sewage system over the last few years just to try to understand where the sewers are. Why am I just thinking of a joke about showing live footage of a sewer on C-SPAN? I know. It would be a great channel, don't Te you think? Televising <laughs> the sewage. But you have had some experience with basement flooding, correct? I have indeed. So in my neighborhood in Oakwood, one of the things that we have is... Um, a system of combined sewers, and we have old floor drains in the basements. So for the people who have redone their basements to be finished basements, this can be a real problem, especially if they've put bathrooms with toilets in the um, basements or shower drains and these kinds of things, because you can end up with these backups and sewage coming up through those drains. In my house, we don't have a finished basement, we, but we do have a floor drain. And um, <laughs> there was actually a day where it was the day before an appraiser was coming to appraise our house because we were refinancing our house in order to redo our kitchen. And there was this big <laughs> sewage backup. And so the basement filled with about five inches of sewage burn, and water. Burn it down. <laughs> it was just awful. And I, my husband, to his credit, who's very funny about these things, said to me, well, the best thing you can say about our house is it drains into the backyard. And that is true because our basement is a walkout basement on the on the back of the house because our house is built into a hill. So basically, we had to open the back door and shovel it all into the backyard. But one of the things we learned was that if you put this thing in called a ball float valve, I forget exactly what it's called, but you can put this thing in that floor drain that basically if the stuff starts to come back at your house this ball floats up and seals the drain. And since we put that in, we've not had this problem. We do get water through the walls, but we've, we've created a fairly elaborate system of rain barrels and French drains and gutters and things to try to get the water away from the house. And we've actually, to some extent, succeeded. I'm not blaming the victims in this case, but I will say that when you've got these older houses and you've got these older sewers, you sometimes do have to take kind of extraordinary measures to deal with the problem of water. Well, and it's, it, it runs into that thorny issue of you can definitely do things to protect your your own home and should but if <laughs> like that one house on north lawn where the water was up to the window on the basement you know a backstop valve is going to not necessarily be a solution and that's something that Ruben Martinez earlier was talking about and wondering with the city about how does this get fixed? How how can the city ensure that it doesn't happen again? And part of that is the upgrading and upsizing of the sewer, which is what is happening on North Lawn right now. And that's going to work theoretically, but it's a long process and it's a very expensive process. It is. The and, you know, one of the things we need to remind people about is that large sections of East Lansing were basically built on a swamp that was called Chandler Swamp. And 
what happened was infill and various kinds of drain systems put in to try to deal with the water that existed in East Lansing. But East Lansing remains a very wet place. In my backyard, my spouse and my son have dug a hole because they're collecting clay and making things out of clay. And we have clay in our backyard. And you don't have to dig very far before you hit the water table in our backyard. Um, one of the things people may not realize is the vegetation that we have can dramatically alter how we deal with the water. So my backyard and my neighbor's backyard are the lowest place in our subdivision. And the consequence of that is that we get a lake every time there's a big rain. We share a lake. Um, we call it Sunset Lake. And there is in the center of that a cottonwood tree. And folks who have been out on the rivers in our area may know that you can see a lot of cottonwood trees along the rivers. And the reason is cottonwoods love water. So oh, yeah. we have the advantage that this cottonwood sucks up a lot of the water from the neighborhood. And you can actually tell this because in the 25 years or so that we've lived in our property, this cottonwood has grown something like 40 feet because it's drinking up all the water in the neighborhood. But in addition to that, the prior owner to the house next door to us also planted two willow trees. We have planted a dawn redwood. These things are growing super those, those fast. Those are all thirsty. They are all thirsty trees. And so one of the things you can do is think about if you've got water issues, making sure you're planting thirsty trees. Of course, the disadvantage of thirsty trees is that they tend to grow fast. So they're sometimes fragile, which means they can break in storms. The other thing is they can, in some circumstances, have a lot of roots because it's those roots that are being really thirsty. Say, more, more water, more roots. You also, you were talking to me earlier about how you purchased flood insurance through FEMA? Yes, we did. Um, people may think me pretty weird for this because we actually live on a hill in Oakwood. But what hey, happened not, was... After August 12th, you're not crazy anymore. I know, exactly, right? So, so back in, I think it was 2008, I was doing a presidential fellowship at Cornell College in Iowa, in Mount Vernon, Iowa. And it was not far from a section of Iowa that had experienced a really bizarre flood. It was an area that was not supposed to be an area that could flood. And they ended up with a huge flood and an entire neighborhood became completely uninhabitable. And like for years, it that people could not go back there because the area was flooded. And so... When I got home, I thought, wow, you know, knowing the history of East Lansing, which I knew something about because I had been researching the history of East Lansing and knowing the water issues that we have and knowing that climate change is occurring, I wanted to get flood insurance for my house because normal insurance often doesn't cover flooding. So I contacted our insurance company and was told we couldn't buy flood insurance because we are not rated for floods. And so there was no way for them to basically give us a system where they could offer it to us because they had no actuarial system by which so, so to offer not, it. You are not in the actuarial table. Yeah. But not long after that, FEMA realized that if people wanted to buy flood insurance, FEMA should sell people flood insurance because what the heck, if there were people like me crazy enough to buy flood insurance, even though in theory we should never be flooded, take my money. So I bought flood insurance and I've maintained that flood insurance over the last few years out of the concern that we could end up with a situation where we have a freak flood and where our insurance might not cover it. And I want to make sure that we're going to be covered if that occurs, because our house is old enough also that a flood in the basement could definitely affect the foundation. And I would have big concerns about whether or not the foundation could be affected. When you live in a 1923 house, you discover a lot of exciting things about your house over the years. Yeah, I I lived in a house from I think 1913 when I was in college in Syracuse, and it certainly uh, 
it had its foibles. We asked our landlord if he could remove like some ivy that was growing up the side of it. And he said, maybe I don't know how much it's holding up the house. <laughs> I know. We so, often say okay. about various things in our house that if, <laughs> if you clean that particular stuff, it might collapse. So we have to right. be careful. So Andrew, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about what's going on with East Lansing Public Schools sports. Yes, sports are back. High school sports are back to, I'm going to heavy air quotes, normal here in regards to COVID-19 and the pandemic. They're still masking when indoors, and that's in part because East Lansing Public Schools is requiring it indoors. Uh, But the football team is back in action. I think by the time anyone's listening to this podcast, they will have played their second game against Fenton. Uh, They lost their opener to Grand Blank in a very close back and forth game. Uh, Mason Woods, the receiver, set a single game school record for receiving yards. Brevin Jackson, quarterback, similarly set a single game school record for passing yards. So that team is still, you know, despite the loss, very good, very high expectations that they're going to be chasing. Beyond them, there's a lot of very, very good teams. Uh, Both cross country teams feature a lot of very talented runners. Boys cross country, Matthew Zalecki returns after winning the CAAC Blue a year ago. The girls while graduating, Abby Draheim. Dreheim. Daughter of Dreheim. I, I always get that one wrong. Uh, well, she has graduated. She was one of their best runners a year ago. Uh, Anna Delgado, a sophomore year ago, is back and one of the top runners. And she'll be she'll be one of the top runners in the conference. They're hoping, trying to keep going, see if I can do this all from memory. We're 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 riffing here. But well, we should not, tell people yeah. that you you brought this week for us an actual sports re- yes. uh, update yes, about what's happening this fall on EastLansingInfo.News. Uh, under our sports tab it'll be up there so boys soccer team I got out and saw a bit of practice and talked to coach Jeff Lyon they're going to be a pretty exciting team this year they've got a lot of speed that they're excited about and a a very experienced roster I think they have 12 seniors on the team and there's only 11 players on the field in soccer so a very experienced team there boys tennis team has a new coach Cody Cross Um, talked to him he was uh, a very good interview, and they've got a senior core coming back. Keep going, keep going, Andrew. Volleyball. <laughs> I'm impressed. Vo- yeah, no. Vo- volleyball, sort of a mixed bag from a year ago. They were middle of the pack, but there's a very veteran team. They, I think it's mostly juniors and seniors. I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but seven seniors and five juniors, I believe. And Heather Stanley, their head coach, is quite excited about the potential for them this year. Um, both Gracie Emerson and Taylor Mitchell are two players she mentioned to look out for. And girls golf, Ella Miller, Maddie Miller are two seniors who believe Ella finished third in the region last year. And then, ah, girls swim and dive. That's the last one. Big <laughs> roster, lots of freshmen. But head coach Maddie Zink, I talked to her and she is very, very excited about just the potential when you have a very big roster and a lot of young, talented swimmers. So that's your sports whirlwind from Andrew. Well, we feel very lucky to have you covering all that. And if you go to eastlansinginfo.news, near the top, you'll see the link for sports. You can click on that and follow Andrew's reporting with some great photography from our team. So the weird thing we had to cover this week came to me, and it was a question from one of our readers about two lots that got combined in White Hills. We're not going to go into great depth about it, but what I will tell you is that we found a lot of surprising things in the system about 
how it is that you can combine two lots if you own two lots next to each other. But once you do that, you end up in a different zoning land because you create a single zoning property potentially if you want to use those properties together. And that means that you have to do a bunch of conversions. So we came upon this listing. Well, a reader came upon this listing in Zillow for a property being offered for a house for $1.4 million with a recreation building. And the recreation building actually used to be a house. So it's kind of a fascinating story. And it's a great example of how we take questions from readers and go out and do investigations. Um, and again, you can read about that at eastlansinginfo.com. In, dot news and if you click on ask Eli to investigate you'll find all of our reporting there that applies to reader questions that come in we've also this week I think we're going to be bringing a story from Emily about fighter planes flying over East Lansing and about a snapping turtle at the Beale Gardens those are two very unrelated things um, that's really all we have for this week I thank anybody who managed to get through us garbling on about flooding and sports and combined real estate in the White Hills. So I thank you for listening, Alice. Any any last thoughts? Just want to point people again to eastlansinginfo.news and thank 89 Impact for joining with us on bringing this podcast. All right. That's all the time we have, folks. Thanks for listening. East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89 FM. We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.